All right, let's welcome Pastor Bartell. Pastor, come preach the word to us. Oh, what up, LFF? This is awesome, isn't it? Wow, what's it? I've been sitting down in front of a packed house. What a blessing. Amen. Well, wow, look, this is exciting. This is, I don't know how many years we got this running, but this has just been great. And if you're here for the first time, man, God bless you. And if you're here for the nth time, man, God bless you too. I am so, so humbled to be able to be here. Thanks to Temple Worship. Man, you guys were fantastic. That was wonderful. And man, I'd, I'd show up just for the cello, man. I mean, that was... And the Friends of Internationals, seriously, that whole focus on that passage in Revelation, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Did you all not feel like there's just a glimpse of heaven with all the languages and all the peoples and the tribes and the tongues and all the things just put together in that thing? Um, you know, doesn't it make you who are Americans, as Americans, feel a little selfish? We think everything has to be done in English for us, don't we? Amen. You know, it isn't always that way, right? And uh, I had a conversation once a long time ago with some friends, a bunch of internationals. I was missionary friends from different countries in Albania, and everybody was arguing about what the language is going to be in heaven, and everybody's arguing for their language and this language and that language, and somebody tried to be real spiritual and say, well, language in heaven is going to be Hebrew, you know, and all that sort of thing. And then there was a guy from Scotland who married a lady from Holland, and he said, no, no, wait, he said, honey, I got to tell you, he said, the Americans are right. He said, the language in heaven for sure is going to be English, because God knows the Americans can't learn a foreign language. <laughs> so we got that. So this, this conference, like Pastor Joe said, this is really just a business meeting so that we can make, we can cast our vote. So what, what we really think, how much we really care about the peoples of this world, amen? And what we're going to talk about is obviously your involvement. Uh, you are here whether you know it or not because the Lord brought you here so that you would be confronted with some truth, maybe truth that you've already known and need to be reminded of. Maybe some truth that'll be new to you. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. But I heard somebody say this one time, and maybe it's a little bit funny, but I think it really has a lot of meaning, and it, it, it goes something like this. You know, Christians are a lot like manure. <laughs> if you spread them around, things grow. But if they all stay together in one big pile, it kind of stinks. You know, we got to learn to mobilize people for the mission. That's what we're here to do. We are here to motivate you to mobilize for the mission of God. That's why we're here this week. Um, by the way, if I say cool stuff, I want the tweet creds, okay? If you guys copy that and throw that out there, I'm just saying. I might not say anything worthy. But it is my privilege to be able to be here with you. And so thank you, Pastor Sam and all of you for taking the time to come and to be a part of this thing. And, and I really do want to try and help establish you all once and for all with what I consider to be the most important issues in being able to properly mobilize people into God's mission. I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And if we will learn these things well, and if we will apply them properly in our lives, you know what? We have a great chance of having a lifetime of joyful, fruitful ministry. 
But if we cheat, if we take shortcuts, if we dodge the biblical principles that we're going to understand these, these evenings, well, then you run a great chance of failure, quitting, embarrassment, frustration, depression, guilt, not to mention all the damage that can be done to the lives and the hearts and the souls of people all around this world. I hope that interests you. We're not going to be talking about strategies once you arrive on the field and you're ready to run into this new place that God has called you. We're not, we're not going to talk about that. There's going to be time for that when that is your time. But if we get there properly, if we can become mobilized from where we are to where we end up, I think those strategies take care of themselves. If we do these steps right, you will find that when you arrive wherever it is God has you next, that you'll know what to do and you'll know how to do it. This is a Bible understanding crowd. And we understand that if we're going to study characters in missions, without question, the premier character in all the Bible, with of course the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Apostle Paul when it comes to foreign missions. And we're going to look at the life of Paul. We're going to look at how his entire ministry, as we understand it, right after his salvation, his really, his entire ministry was taking the gospel to foreign peoples. That's what he was all about. And, and the Bible's very clear in that it commands us over and over and over again that we are to follow Paul's example, right? Let me remind you, 1 Corinthians 4, 15 and 16. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. I mean, if somebody said that today, you might think it sounds just a little bit arrogant. Follow me. I, don't, I follow no man. Um, I'm sorry. The Lord has given us godly examples for a reason, and the Apostle Paul is the biblical one that we are to pattern our lives after. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 1, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Philippians 3, 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. And I could give you others and others. The references are all through his writings, how Paul says, I know the Lord has set me to walk ahead so that others can see how they are to walk as well. So he is our model for ministry, most certainly in the understanding of a cross-cultural ministry. He's our model of how a man is to walk with God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Certainly we don't imitate and replicate every single detail of Paul's life. It was very unique. But the way in which he followed the Holy Spirit, these are the things we need to understand. So how are we going to understand the key principles of being mobilized for a lifetime of ministry to the nations? Well, we need to understand how Paul was mobilized, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 13. And in fact, Acts chapter 13, in these first four verses, is going to be the springboard from which we will jump into other places for the three evenings that we're together. So if you're ready, just follow along. I'm going to read Acts 13, 1 through 4. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. 
And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Like I said, this passage is going to contain for us the three different subjects that we're going to look at tonight and the two nights that will follow. And what we're going to see are what I consider, through my understanding, experience, uh, some very common misunderstandings that Christians today in Laodicea seem to have when it comes to this issue of missions and particularly mobilizing and preparation for missions. Sometimes we're very kind and we use words like misunderstandings. I think sometimes the word misunderstanding is just a glossed over way of saying disobedience. We're going to take a look tonight with the subject as you have the title, called or commanded. Uh, I want you to understand by the end of this hour, God's invitation to you to service. And tomorrow night, if you come back, we're going to have the title will be Proven or Passive. You'll get the notes for that when you come back. And the subject we'll talk about tomorrow night is doing the work it takes to prepare yourself to be ready to go somewhere. And then the last night, we'll come back and we'll cover this issue that I'll entitle Sent Out or Skipped Out. And we're going to learn a little bit more about the value of the body of Christ. Because churches, friends, they start churches. And we'll take some time for that on the last night. So with that kind of as a, as a template in front of us, uh, let me just pray and then we'll jump into our outline. Heavenly Father, much prayer has gone before, much work has gone, and Lord, we have lifted and exalted your name. You have answered prayer. You have come to meet with us this evening. We are humbled and we are grateful. I pray now only that you would laser focus our minds and our understanding on exactly what you want each and every one of us to glean from this, your truth, in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first point in your outline, we want to talk about what I'm calling the mystical call of God. The mystical call of God. In Acts chapter 13 and verse number 2, clearly the Holy Ghost calls Barnabas and Saul. That's a fact. It's undeniable. There is such a thing as a call. They are called unto this work. But what exactly is God's call? I mean, a lot of people want to ask these kinds of questions. If there ever was a misunderstood topic among Christians, it is this topic. What has God called me to? And by the way, have you ever noticed every time somebody just gets an idea of something they think they want to do, they always want to tag God's name onto it? Whether or not God had anything to do with it or not, we will get there. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But it is funny how misunderstood what otherwise should be a, I think, very simple principle is. You know, I like coming to Kansas City because I like gourmet coffee. <laughs> and so I'm going to make some trips and I'm going to stock up and load up my suitcase and all that sort of thing. Um, but if I was to take some time doing what I enjoy doing and sitting down across a coffee table with one or two of you, and we just had the time to just sit and chat together about some of these subjects, uh, I'm confident that most all of you here tonight would recognize the need to get the gospel around the world. You, you already understand that. Uh, odds are you probably already have a, a burning, genuine passion to participate in helping reach the unreached all around the world. And you probably know about the persecuted church and 
the progress of the gospel in various parts of this world. But if I were to ask you the question, so are you interested in becoming a missionary? I fear that a lot of people might say, well, no, I don't think I'm called. As if somehow this mystical calling is the all-encompassing trump card over everything else God clearly says in his word. I want you to think about that. Because most people will agree that this unreached number of hundreds of millions of people all around the world, it's outrageous, it's unacceptable. And yet still we sit and we assume that God wants us to remain where we are unless we receive some sort of divine confirmation that we are one of the special few. We are one of the ones endowed with that extra spiritual chromosome so that we can go and do special things. Well, I want to ask you a question, and this is actually in your notes. Why are there so many nearly empty harvest fields in the world? Well, I'm going to propose for you three options. First option, God is only calling a few Christians to go as missionaries because he doesn't want everyone in our generation to hear the gospel. Some people might think that, certainly that's not the case. Second option, God is calling a sufficient number of workers, but many, if not almost all of them, are being disobedient to that call. Well, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know, really. Not likely. I, I, I actually don't think that there's that ridiculously high amount of people who are just saying, no way, Lord, not interested. At least not in this group, right? I don't believe that. Or the third option, and this is where we're really going to take off from, we've seriously misunderstood what it means to be called by God. I think we have absolutely missed the boat, so many of us. And I don't even know where it came from. I don't think I've ever heard anybody preach a sermon that was just false and heresy on this. It's just funny how our nature sends us in directions that we should not go. In fact, to the point where I might even say, shame on us. Shame on us. With all of our rightly dividing, dispensational understanding and theological purity, we're frequently nothing more than Baptist turned charismatic. That's how we behave. We seek a sign. We seek a miracle. We put out fleeces like Gideon. You, you know what that fleece was all about with Gideon, don't you? It's, it's just a matter of needing confirmation from the Lord in an area where Gideon didn't have enough faith to just believe what God said. God says what he says. He expects us to be mature enough to just believe it and just do it. And so we keep throwing out these fleeces. We keep asking for these signs. We keep looking for these wonders. We keep expecting these miraculous, crazy, supernatural things to happen. And we just throw our theology out the window, expecting this call to be something that we can't explain. If we don't hear the audible voice of God come down to us like it did to little Samuel, and if God doesn't do it so many times in a row, and if he doesn't do it so clearly using our middle name so as to be sure he means us, <laughs> we're probably not called. 
So I'm exonerated from the responsibility of the hundreds of millions of people around the world who have never had one legitimate chance to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You would never tolerate this kind of doctrine and practice in your churches. You would never tolerate it. If we really believe that the signs ceased, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10, with the first century and the completion of the written scriptures, and, and if you are not a Jew, 1 Corinthians 1.22, why would you expect that kind of input from God for anything you do? I mean, you have to think about stuff like that. You know what it reminds me of? Those of you who are a little bit older like me might remember, I, I got saved in the early 80s. And uh, back in the early days of my Christian life, of course, I didn't come from a church background, so everything was new to me, and I was excited, but I mean, not going to lie, some of it was weird. <laughs> and one of the things that was kind of, kind of hit back then was this idea of backmasking of songs. Anybody, anybody kind of brave enough to say you kind of, some of the older guys remember that? So back in the day, you know, the thing was is that, you know, rock and roll music is so evil or any whatever that somebody figured out a way, and I never figured out how back then you actually had these things called records, and you'd spin it backwards or whatever, and they figured out how to play the music backwards, and they would find these hidden satanic messages, right? Backmasking. You've probably heard about it. Well, <laughs> the most famous example of backmasking a satanic message into a popular rock song is the Led Zeppelin hit Stairway to Heaven. And so what I did was we just grabbed a little clip of the part of Stairway to Heaven, and we're going to play it for you, forwards and then backwards, and just, just have a listen. Let's, let's go with this. If there's a button in your headroom, don't be alone there. Okay, and to that I say, seriously, <laughs> y'all better watch out for that little tool shed. <laughs> so here's all these, you know, pillars of, at least in my little world, of Christianity back in those days that were preaching and propagating this idea that somehow we're supposed to listen to these messages backwards so that we can kind of sort of decipher, by the way, if those words weren't up there, most of you wouldn't have even got that, right? Somehow we're going to get the idea of what the devil's trying to say backwards. And even back then in my young Christian days, maybe it's just my common sense, I thought to myself, 
I think they're talking about the devil forwards. <laughs> I mean, is it really that hard? I mean, I never got the backwards thing. Um, stairway, to, by the way, I used to be a, you know, a heavy metal guy. I liked Led Zeppelin. I was into all that music and, you know, do, do you know how the song begins? I mean, don't raise your hand or nothing. <laughs> Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, first three lines forward. There's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold. Say it with me. And she's doing what? She's buying a stairway to heaven. That, that's Genesis 11. That's Babel, man. They're, only now she's just buying it instead of building. I mean, they're building their own tower. They're, they're making a tower. To, they're buying. Who really thinks <laughs> that that's not of the devil? Who really thinks that that, who's going to Led Zeppelin to get your theology for soteriology? <laughs> right? Oh, no, but man, we got this secret message. It's in there backwards. As stupid <laughs> as that is. You know, that's exactly what Christians are doing today with the call of God. They, they, they absolutely categorize God's call on their life to participate in the Great Commission, to their missionary service, because they think it's mystical. Somehow they're searching for these hidden clues in the Da Vinci Code so that they can be sure that God called them. Frankly, it's embarrassing. And worse yet, the work isn't getting done. The work isn't getting done. So let's take a bath from that thing and move on and clarify, go to the next point, and let's talk about the biblical call of God. Let's talk about the biblical call of God. And I'm just going to start out with a simple spoiler alert, okay? God's call, y'all is actually nothing more than an invitation. That's all it is. It's just an invitation. Don't overthink it. If you were to go to places, and I just grabbed 1 Samuel 9, 24 as a verse of Scripture that uses the word invite, the exact same Hebrew word translated invite scores and scores of times is translated call all through the Old Testament. Jesus often, if you took the time, I didn't even bother to pull them. You can read them. Jesus often and over and over again, it says that he called his disciples. Most of the references to Jesus calling his disciples, Jesus called his disciples to join him to participate in some event, whatever he had going on. He called them to him. He called them to join him to do something. So what I want you to do is every time you think of the word call, I want you to simply replace it with the word invite or invitation. Just replace it. And see how it plays out. For example, Mark chapter 2, verse 17, where Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Could you not say that Jesus was basically saying, I've come to invite the sinners to repentance? Of course you could say that, because that's exactly what it means. Now, let me ask you a question, and this is where it's really going to start to get fun. How many sinners does Jesus call? He calls all of them, doesn't he? Does he just call some of them? No, you don't believe that. He calls all of the sinners. He invites everyone to get saved. He calls all the sinners 
to repentance, right? He establishes his will, and his will is uniform for all, and he calls all men to respond, right? So, hey, theological aces, we got the word of God down. We understand things well. We study the Bible well. We've been trained well. Let me ask you a couple questions. How can we reject the charismatic's false doctrine but look for signs in God's call? How do we do that? Because I don't know. Let's take it a step further. How can we reject Calvinism for soteriology but embrace selectivity for God's call? How is that possible? I mean, come on, you're not, you're not among those who are deceived and confused about the idea that God has only chosen and selected a few to go to heaven and has predetermined all the rest to go to hell. You don't believe that. Not if you study your Bible, you don't. But yet somehow, we who rightly divide and understand the dispensations and theologically work it out and compare Scripture with Scripture and have a final authority in our lives... When it comes to this thing, we throw it out the window and behave just like the people that we would not tolerate teaching in our churches. Come on. This is just simply based on our free will choice, our willingness, our desire, our love for God. And then we respond. And when we respond, you know what? God is pleased to use us. Yes, each and every one. He is pleased to use you. That's it, y'all. It's just, excuse me, it is just that simple. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse number 30. And it says, And at the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now, notice, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Okay, we just read that he calls the sinners to repent. Now we read he commands and he makes it very clear all men everywhere to repent, right? So we're making this association. So is that an invitation? Well, yes. Um, Is it a command? Well, yes. Is it for all men? Well, yes, of course. Can people refuse either? Of course they can. Should they? Of course they shouldn't, right? So in the issue of salvation, we've got it down. It is crystal clear. It is uniform for everyone, everywhere at all times, and God extends the invitation. In fact, even commands, hey, repent, turn to me. And there are people who say, no, thank you. I don't understand why they do that, but they say, no, thank you. They can say no. What is it about us that makes us think that when we cross the magic line of salvation and we are new creatures in Christ, all the rules go out the window? What makes us think that then the subsequent call on our lives to serve him, to get the gospel all around the world in the face of all of the clear commands of Scripture and the Great Commission repeated over and over in different ways from Genesis to the very end, somehow only applies to a select few? somehow requires some miraculous sign or wonder for us to get it. Somehow exonerates the rest of us from participating because we weren't called. No, this is the biblical call of God. And you know why it's the biblical call of God? This is, you want to write, might want to write this down. It's because it's in the Bible. <laughs> 
Y'all remember Romans 2.11? There is no respect of persons with God. I mean, that's a, that's a precious promise, isn't it? Isn't it a precious promise to know that God doesn't respect anybody over anybody else? Isn't it precious to know that God loves each of us equally and cares deeply equally for every single human being that has ever breathed free air? Isn't it wonderful to know that the same promises apply to me that apply to you that apply to everybody on this planet and throughout all of history? Isn't it exciting to to be able to claim those things? He's not the respecter of persons that some Laodicean Christians wish that he was. (laughs) He's not the respecter of persons to just cherry-pick a few of his favorites and leave the others to just, yeah, you know, enjoy Netflix. (laughs) It's okay. No, friends, you're required. You're required to respond to his plan of participation in the Great Commission. So you may not relocate but you must participate. You may not relocate. That's a whole nother issue. But you must participate. If you leave here tonight and don't understand that God has a call on each of your lives to participate in the Great Commission in some capacity, well, you've just been sleeping. Or you're just rebellious. Because if you're hearing the word of the Lord, you are understanding that it is on me Sometimes at the end of a sermon in our church, I'll have an invitation to response at the end, and sometimes I'll use this illustration. It helped me when I was young, and I'll say, in your mind's eye, draw a little circle around your feet, right where you're sitting right now, and then just consider the guy who's in that circle. (laughs) In other words, quit worrying about the guy sitting next to you. Quit worrying about the guy that you invited who's sitting somewhere else in church tonight. Why don't you consider you? Why don't I consider me? You, my friend, are called to participate in the Great Commission. Romans 8.28, one of our favorite verses in all the Bible, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Who has never claimed that in a time of need? Who, I mean, listen, that is one of the most precious, blessed promises we have all called upon. We understand that not all things are good, But all things work together for good, and we get strength from that, and God encourages us and builds us up from that, and we know that God is using the circumstances, even the difficult circumstances, for his good and for his glory, and we take comfort and encouragement in that. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And so it is applied to literally from the passage of Scripture, right? We know that all things work together for good to some group of people. Who are these people? Them that love God. To them who are, here it is, the called according to his purpose. We all claim that promise, don't we? So, are you the called according to his purpose? (laughs) Take it the next step. Oh, what is his purpose? Well, I mean, it's only fair that we find that out, right? We'll just read the next verse, verse 29. Rarely do people read the next verse. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Here's the purpose, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
God wants you to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, you'll never be fully conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You'll never even be working in that direction if you're not participating in his work. He is to be the firstborn of many brethren, and you too, like we saw this lineage of discipleship up here earlier, are to be the firstborn of many other downstream people in the process of winning people to Jesus Christ and training them in discipleship. This is God's purpose for you, and you, are the, you all are the called according to his purpose. That's why you can know that all things work together for good for you. There's no exceptions. There's no respect of persons with God. That's his purpose. That's what he wants you to do. You have to grow into him, and you're not going to grow if you're not participating in serving. You know that. That's why we need to remind ourselves of places like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 where it says, and that he died for all, that they which live, no, this should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, right, and rose again. We are obligated, friends, We gave our lives completely and totally to the surrender of the lordship of Jesus Christ at salvation. He gave us his pure, holy, perfect life in exchange. Amen. And then we want to take ours back. And we want to live for us. And he says, no. Henceforth, from the time that you surrendered it to the Lord, keep your word. Give it to him. Live unto him right? So he says things like Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your outstanding service. (laughs) Does it say that? No. It's your reasonable service. You present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. You literally turn over the control of your life, your bodies, your actions, your eyes, what do they look at? Your mouth, what does it talk about? Your ears, what do they listen to? Your feet, where do they take you? Your hands, what kind of work do they do? Your bodies become a living sacrifice. You are totally and completely sanctified and sold out to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, that is just what Watchman Nee might call the normal Christian life. That's not exceptional. That's not extraordinary. That's not the special call on special people to do a special work. That's very simply God's will for you. It's just reasonable. After all, he's already done for us, amen? So forget the mystical call. Understand that God commands, invites all of us, right, to work in his harvest to all peoples. And you're like, okay, I got it. But that's not really why I came here tonight, Jeff. I came here to find out where. (laughs) Because this idea, okay, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. I know already. I know that already. I want to know exactly where. Should I go to this place or should I go to that place? Should I go and serve in this country or in this neighborhood or in this city? Should I pack up my family and move to a new place? Should I stay here and do this? That's really what everybody's tripping over, isn't it? Nobody really trips over number two, but we got to go through number two to clear the slate and get the baseline so that now we can understand our final point, which is probably what you're more interested in and what people are more misunderstanding, and that is what I'm calling the vocational call of God, the vocational. So we had mystical, biblical, and now vocational. 
And really all we're doing is we're understanding God's usage of this word and we're understanding how he applies these things similar to the way that he applies a lot of things in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible God has this deal where some, he, he reveals things generally and then he reveals things specifically, right? So the very revelation of God itself, the general revelation of God is nature, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork, right? So all of nature is God's general revelation that there is a supernatural being. There is a holy God creator of this universe. But the plan of God, the specific revelation of God for your life cannot be found just sitting on a mountaintop cross-legged and singing songs. You need the word of God. And God's written holy word is the specific, particular revelation that gives you the specific details you need to know exactly what to do, the general and the specific. It's the same way with the will of God. Uh, in, In the old set of, I don't know what number it is now in the new revamped set of discipleship lessons we'll be using but it always used to be lesson number seven in the original discipleship lessons, and it dealt with the will of God. And I'm gonna tell you, people have finished the discipleship course of that elementary level one-on-one discipleship years ago. They've moved on to higher levels of discipleship training, and yet still, when when an issue comes in their life to make a decision about a specific thing in their life that is not written in black and white in the Bible, they freak out and forget all the principles on that simple lesson number seven, the will of God. Because there is the general will of God, all those verses in the scripture that it says, and so is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, how clear can it be, right? It's God's will for you to be saved. It's God's will for you to be spirit-filled. It's God's will for you to be sanctified. It's God's will for you to be thankful. It's God's will for you to serve. It's God's will for you for all these different things. That's God's general will for all Christians. So we would say, begin to obey the general will for you And the details of marry this girl or not, take this job or not, move to this city or not, serve in this ministry or in that ministry, that specific will, which sometimes we term the plan of God, that's the one we stumble over, right? So God has set this pattern. There's the general and there's the specific. Well, it's no different with the call. There is a general, and that's really what we saw in the biblical call is God's general call to everybody hey, get busy. We need to get involved in the things that are clearly written in his word. But then there's a specific call. And the specific call is to a particular work. This would be the vocation. This would be the the vocational call of God. So back in Acts chapter 13, this is our springboard. It says, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. So the Holy Ghost calls two men with a vocational call, a specific work that needed to be done. And that's what a lot of us are after. We need to understand that. Paul understood that. And so eventually when he writes the book of Romans, it starts out, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So Paul gets this thing And he understands, not just am I called to be faithful to the Lord, which he had proven over many years' time by the time this shows up, 
But he finally understood that God had a specific call for a particular vocation in my life. He was separated from the church in Antioch, and he was sent out, and he had a specific call for a specific job to do with Barnabas. And it rolled in with Silas and Timothy, et cetera, et cetera. You know the book of Acts. To the point where he writes to the church in Rome, and he says, God called me to be an apostle. That's a particular vocation. That is a specific detail of how God wanted to use Paul. So I put in your notes this way. God's general call is just an invitation to participate in the Great Commission. And God's specific call is just a particular opportunity to participate in the Great Commission. And I'm not sure that you understood just how awesome that last statement was. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) So the general call is just an invitation. Get it out of your mind that there's anything weird about it. It is just God's inviting everybody to do it. Hey, come on, y'all, let's get busy. The specific thing is while you are busy, while you are faithful, while you are training and preparing, as we'll talk about tomorrow night, while you are in the work of the ministry and learning and growing and developing skills and gifting and your leaders are seeing what God's doing and opportunities then present themselves. There's a need for somebody to do this and we don't have anybody that'll do, oh, here's somebody who has been doing it. And he has replaced himself where he was being a good disciple maker. And we can relocate him and put him over here to a specific work that he needs to do now. So it's not training for the ministry. I don't want to get ahead of myself for tomorrow, but it's training in the ministry. So we're all called to get busy. When we respond to the general call, God gives us the specific opportunity to just continue to walk that path. That's all it is demystify the whole thing. You're not allowed to go home anymore and excuse yourself waiting for the tornado to blow the windows open and the map to fall off the wall and shake you off your bed and have your nose land on the country you're supposed to go to. (laughs) You're not allowed to do that anymore. You're not allowed to eat too much food at night and have dreams and then wake up in the middle of the night and say, well, God gave me a dream. Well, maybe he just gave you an ingestion. God's word speaks clearly. Quit reading it backwards. I want you to consider something with me. Paul said that he was called to serve in a particular way as an apostle. But I want you to notice, he really only said that after the fact. He said that after the fact. In other words, I want you to consider the possibility that At that time, what was Paul doing? All he was doing was taking advantage of opportunities that were placed in front of him, that God gave him. Then after a number of years down the road of his life and ministry, he looked back and he says, oh, God called me to be an apostle. And what we do, we stress out over what it is we're going to be called to do specifically And we haven't done anything yet. We haven't done anything yet. We're not really faithful to the general call. And we're not faithful to the general call because we excuse it by waiting for the specific one. Isn't this easy? (laughs) I have a flair for the obvious. So I debated whether to tell my story. I 
only tell it because I have the authority to tell it. I always give the disclaimer that there's nothing special about my story, it's just mine, so I have the authority to tell it. And I can tell it more accurately than I could tell somebody else's. But let me just give you an idea, and maybe it'll help some of you younger people get handles on where you're at, and maybe it'll help you land where you need to land. In my world, okay, I got saved when I was 21, almost 22 years old, and I had no church background, and I just got plugged in to a church similar to this church and began to grow under good, solid Bible teaching. And, and not too far into it, I just simply began to, as it says in 1 Timothy 3, desire, right, the work of a bishop, the office of a bishop. I just had a desire. I just, I just wanted more. I just knew that I had finished my... Uh, engineering degree in college, and I was working as an engineer and serving in my church and doing the Bible school thing and all that. And I just knew that I was not an engineer who happened to be a Christian, but I was a Christian who happened to be an engineer. And God was going to use that job to finance my ministry for now, but my desire was that it would be different. And our church threw big missions conferences like this, and I used to love, man, I loved missions conference week. It was my highlight week of my life of that year. And I took time off from work to be there all day and all afternoon. That's what I did. I begged the pastor to let the visiting guests stay with me in my home. I had not a nice home, but, you know, if they were willing. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to spend time with those guys. It was the most exciting time of the year. And I just, man, I, I wanted more. But all along, I just continued to do what I was doing. And so I moved from just being a faithful participant in the single adult ministry and I was asked then to lead the junior high, middle school ministry. So I did that for a number of years and just faithfully did that. We had our own Bible Institute version. I went through that. Our church went on regular mission trips. Every time I could, I went on those short-term mission trips just because it was awesome. I'd save my money and I would go on those mission trips. And, and man, I'm, the Lord, I just felt like was giving me this strong desire. I don't want to just stay here. I don't want to even pastor in the States. I want to go to the world and get the, the gospel to people who have never had the chance. I know I'm not much, Lord, but here am I. Send me. I'm willing. So that's a good start. And I just figured that I would end up in a Spanish-speaking country because, I mean, after all, I had two years of high school Spanish. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had como estas. I mean, I had that down. <laughs> and so it never happened for the Spanish-speaking world. And uh, fast forward the details, and in 1992, the circumstances were such that I was on a mission trip with my pastor and some others, and the country just opened Eastern European country of, of Albania. And there were people who had no background in Christianity who were getting saved, and there was no churches and no missionaries and no Bible, and there was, a new, there was new Christians and no, nobody to leave them with. We went on other mission trips, and, and there was a church or a missionary or local believers, and, and you could plug them in for follow-up, and there was none of that in Albania. And I'd been serving now with 11, 12, and 13-year-olds, and and was their pastor and their teacher and their leader and led evangelism and discipleship and activities and, and all of those things. And, and, and now there's a work that somebody had to do, but who would be mobile? Who is trained? Who has experience in this work? Who could leave their home very quickly because somebody needs to get here very quickly? And all of those things just came together that my experiences, my history, I was 30 years old, still single. 
I didn't own anything. I didn't have any other family responsibilities or ties. I was as mobile as anybody could be. I had the training. I had the experience. I had no idea who Albanians were. I knew nothing about them. I never prayed for them. I didn't know they existed before I went on this trip. But there was a work that needed to be done, and I just saw that it matched what I had going on. And my pastor agreed, and we said, let's get you here. Let's get you here. And so I said, okay. Because God's general call on my life was just to participate wherever I was, and that's what I did. And then God's specific call came, which at the time is God calling me. I didn't even think about it. I just knew there was an opportunity. Somebody has to do something. And we would look around our limited view of the people we knew, and there was nobody willing and able at that time to step up and do it. And I said, well, I'll do it. And when I did, it wasn't, you know, the trumpets blow and the, you know, the glory shined. It wasn't that at all. I was scared, y'all. There was fear. There was trembling. I've used this illustration before. It's like the dog chasing the car. Once you catch it, now what are you going to do with it? <laughs> I've been chasing the car of being a missionary for years in my life, and then Man, the opportunity presented itself, and I'm like, whoa, I don't know what I'm doing. I was nervous. And I moved to a country that I knew nothing about and didn't speak the language and didn't even have a wife, let alone another ministry partner or a mission board or anybody in it to make a team of... I'm not saying it was the best plan. I'm just saying that's what happened. I'm not telling you this is how we're going to strategize your future. I'm just telling you, this is what God did, and generally speaking, like the Apostle Paul, don't follow the, the exact steps, just follow the pattern. Do you see the pattern? That's how it works. Oh, by the way, with all my fear and trembling, let me, let me just say, I also had some faith. I also had some faith. I also believed that God who whispered in my ear in my times of fear and trembling in those moments... Jeff have, I said, Lord, I don't even know what I'm doing. I've never, I'm not on staff of this church. I, I don't know how to start a church. I don't, I've never done this from scratch. I don't have experience in this area. And he said, Jeff, have I ever let you down? No, Lord. Jeff, I ever left you alone where you didn't have somebody to call on? No, Lord, you've never done that. Have I ever failed to provide for you whenever you need anything? No, Lord, you've never. And he took away all my excuses. And I just had to trust. Now, by the way, this was very personal. This was me and Jesus until I brought my pastor into the prayer circle. I'm telling you, that interaction I had with the Lord, I could have, and I actually specifically thought this, I could just, this kind of freaks me out. I can just step back and walk away. I have a good job. I just got a promotion. They like me at work. I have a good ministry slot back home. I mean, I'm not even married yet. I got to at least get one of those. I had it all figured out how I could have said no, and I could have. And what would my life have played out like if I had said no? Well, I don't know. But I know that in my heart before the Lord, I felt like if I said no, it'd be like the Lord would say, well, okay, no. You just stay there for a while then. I'll just put you on the shelf. And I'm just going to tell you something. That hit me. Because, you know, I'm no, you know, I'm no great man of faith or nothing, but, but I truly feared mediocrity. 
I'm not interested in mediocre. I'm not the greatest example of everything, but I'm going to tell you what, man, if God puts something in front of me, I want to do it. I want to do it. So then this vocational calling, it's vocation. I chose that word because it's your job. <laughs> the Lord uses it, actually. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us. How many of us has he saved? Well, all of us that respond, right? He called all of us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. See, this is all-encompassing general call to serve. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, meaning he's, called it, he's put the call out on all of you. Now I pray that you would show yourself worthy. In other words, I pray that you would actually respond and start getting busy to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. And Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Because in your journey, wherever you are and whatever it is you're doing, there is no shame. Just do it with all your heart unto the Lord and allow him to give you new opportunities if he so desires. Do we actually believe? Are we willing to trust him enough? to be the Lord of the harvest? Does God have to check your boxes or can you check his? Can you just do what he asks and be content with that? See, see, this is the kind of life that he's calling us to. So the last question I pose, where do you fit in all this? And this is really just your application of these points and, and we're done in a second. But can I just say, can, can, we, can we just agree to put away the mystical thing, just put it away. Just get it out. Forget it. Put it in the category with backmasking. Just forget it. And will we just simply obey the command where we're at today and then just look for opportunities? Just obey the command where you are today and look for opportunities. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren... How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why would he do that? that no flesh should glory in his presence. Because you know what? It's not about you. And it's not about me. And it's not about Living Faith Fellowship and it's not about Midtown Baptist Temple or any other church. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And no flesh should glory in his presence. By the way, that list of all the people God uses and doesn't use, so the, the weak and the base and the despised and I qualify. You qualify? I qualify. God can use you. He really can. But it's up to you. You have to just decide. Forget all your excuses and just be honest enough to look the Lord in the eye and decide what it is you want to do. Let's pray together.
Dear Lord Jesus, my prayer for the saints is that you would do the work in their hearts that needs to be done. Each and every one has their own drama. Each and every one has their own set of circumstances. And it is very real in their life. And I pray that each would do the thing that I mentioned, that they would, in their mind, just draw a little circle around their own feet and that each would pray for the person in that circle. Lord Jesus, forgive us where we have cast aside sound doctrine and dreamed up our own ways of thinking. Forgive us of that. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for reminding us that you are no respecter of persons and you desire to use each and every one of us. I pray that not one person would leave here without full surrender to the willingness to do whatever they need to do to just be obedient in participation in the Great Commission right where they are at, always looking for new opportunities. And should you open that door of utterance, should you open that door of opportunity in a specific way, in a specific calling to send specific people to do a new thing, we will rejoice. But let us not get ahead of you and let us not lag behind because the work is too important and you have called us to do it. That's why we're here. Move, I pray, Lord Jesus on the hearts of your people. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.